The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we are speaking with Ashley, who is an actress and writer in Los Angeles, about Game of Thrones. Hi, Ashley. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So the finale was last night. This show is just a cultural phenomenon. So we'll start with the question that I ask everybody. What do you love about Game of Thrones? Oh, I mean, Game of Thrones is just like an epic story um, with like a, such a diverse cast of characters in terms of personality and whatever you're into. I'm sure there's like a character that you can just fall in love with for you. And, you know, they might die. Um, but... <laughs> But like, still, is just there. There's just so many different types of people and types of stories that you can just follow. Um, I love that it's sort of the twist on the fairy tale, and it's a twist on the Lord of the Rings. It, it, it's also just very grounded. Like it's fantasy, but at the same time, it's still a political story by its nature. So usually I wait until near the end to talk about like the end of a show. But considering that that just happened last night. Um, I know <laughs> I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so the finale. What yes. are your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of differing opinion about it uh, on the internet. Personally, I was happy with it. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about how it, how it ended up? I liked everything except for I was just confused about King Bran. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if I had been missing that the entire time. Like, was there a, a storyline about Bran becoming king that I just completely missed? But I totally got uh, Dark Daenerys. That was actually a storyline that I saw coming. And I totally loved Queen Sansa because that was she had always been my favorite character. Mm. Uh, so I'm happy that she was becoming queen. And I felt like the story was building towards that. Just the only thing that has a big question mark around it is like King Bran. Like, I'm, I just feel like I should have like, did I miss something? Like, I need to rewatch that. My instant reaction was I really need to rewatch this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. King Bran was a little bit out of the blue for me as well. Because you, you have this really interesting story that he's going through. But yeah. it definitely doesn't feel like it was intended to end up. Exactly. And, like, one of the things that George R. R. Martin said, like, his reaction to the Lord of the Rings was, in the end, you know, they just say, like, Aragorn ruled well and you know it's all happily ever after for him and but like he wanted to know what was Aragorn's tax policy like what types of decisions <laughs> would Aragorn have made and I feel like that storyline and, and that idea was captured by Jon Snow and Sansa and Daenerys's 
and Tyrion storyline because before they actually reach those final positions, we see them like learning how to become leaders with Jon Snow's storyline in the Night's Watch, Sansa's storyline in King's Landing and in Winterfell, um, and then of course Daenerys in Marine, and then also just everything Tyrion does. So right. that makes sense. It just the thing that I'm not wrapping my head around is I feel like that question is not answered with King Bran. You know, the last time we see Bran in a leadership position is in season two when he is Lord of Winterfell because Catelyn and Rob are in the south warring against the Lannisters. And I did wonder if that meant that it was going to lead to something, but we haven't actually seen him take on a leadership position or showing leadership qualities. So we we really don't know, like what King Bran would be like. That question isn't answered. So that, I think that's what I'm struggling with more than anything is just like, were we really building towards that with Bran? Or, and then my other question is then, is that going to be something that's more built towards in the books? And the show kind of sidelined Bran because he wasn't like an action hero. Like that. that's another thing I'm wondering is, you know, are there supposed to be, like, leadership things that Bran is doing that we totally just didn't get to see because the fans love Jon Snow and Daenerys and they ended up taking on more of the show, or the focus of the show around them? Yeah, yeah. There really is the question of, you know, exactly what kind of leader is Bran going to be? And it's, it's funny because we have that scene in the small council yeah, uh, near the end there. And <laughs> it's like, okay, he kind of comes in and then says, oh, I'm going to see where Drogon went and leaves. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, shouldn't yeah, you stay? We don't like, know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then Bran technically should not have that power in the South because his power derives from weirwood trees and there are no weirwood trees in the South. See, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, is making me confusing because it's just like how is he going to be in the south and then you know what's this magical power because he technically would have to be giving it up if he's going to be king and king's landing but i do think there is one aspect of bran that i think was leading to this there's an ancestor of the starks called bran the builder and bran the builder was the one who built Winterfell and the Wall. So I think that might have been foreshadowing because at this time, King's Landing has been pretty much torn down. And so I think King Bran would be sort of a brand the Builder brought back again. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously he can't do much building on his own. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's not going to happen. But yeah, you can kind of see him being really what Westeros needs right now, that it's basically in tatters after everything, is really someone who can be a nice neutral figure, I guess, you know, who's not going to have any power in any other place, but is someone who can, who can kind of bridge that gap between the old way and the new way. So maybe in in that sense, having Bran, who's a little less forceful in his ruling, might be a good idea. Yes, yeah. It's also like we know that Bran, well, Bran is from before he becomes the Three-Eyed Raven, is naturally sweet-natured. He is like the character that we start this story with, who 
clearly loves his family. And I think, I definitely feel like Bran wouldn't be like a forceful or terrifying king, which is exactly what Westeros has been going through. Mm-hmm. And then like, of course, with Tyrion as his hand, which they've been building up to for a while, like I definitely trust Tyrion as the king's hand. Yeah. But I'm still like confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tyrion is probably my favorite character. He's so fantastic. One of my requirements for a finale that I would be happy with, or at least okay with, was that Tyrion survived. <laughs> it's like yeah. as long as Tyrion lives at the end, it's like I can handle pretty much anything else. But there had been some spoilers, or uh, fake spoilers at this point, as we know, floating around that Tyrion was going to be executed at the end of, and- of the show. And I was like, no, if that happens, I'm just going to swear off Game of Thrones forever because that's just wrong. I actually thought that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's probably because of the way Game of Thrones does foreshadowing. Their style of foreshadowing is to keep saying the same thing, in random thing in conversations over and over again. And Tyrion makes multiple references about getting his head chopped off over and over again. So I was like, <laughs> oh, like Tyrion's going to get his head for- chopped off. Like this is foreshadowing. And then another thing is Tyrion's trajectory in the books, at least from what I've been reading, I, I haven't like gotten fully into the books, is actually darker so um, at least as of A Dance with Dragons, he's in a really like dark emotional place after murdering his father and he just wants to come back and get revenge on Cersei and he even has thoughts about like raping her, which is... Oh my God. Really, yeah. So like in that sort of more twisted turn that he's taking is kind of glossed over in the TV show. So that's the part where I'm just kind of like, I guess, like, that's something where we have to read the books for because I guess it's still the fifth book where he's having this dark turn. So, like, in Winds of Winter, is he going to then have an arc where he's coming back from the dark into the light? So that was was something I thought I totally thought was going to happen because he had just his trajectory in the books was heading in a darker direction. Hmm, gotcha. Yeah, I've read the first... How many books are out now? Five? Yeah. I've read the first four. And, you know, the show is already going on by the time book five came out. And I kind of was like, you know, the show is already diverting from the books. I think I'm going to wait until the show is done and then I'll read the books. And, you know, because in in the books, like Sansa doesn't even get married to Ramsay. Yeah. And that's such a huge part of how she develops and, you know, where she ends up having that experience and then feeding Ramsay to his hounds. It was like, well, I'm not sure I want to get invested in this storyline, which is so different from the one I'm already invested in. Right. I had been wondering about that change because in the books, it's not Sansa, it's a fake Arya. And I had been wondering about that because if they switched out fake Arya for Sansa, then that brought Sansa to Castle Black sooner, which would then give her more of a direct role in the battle for Winterfell, which presumably the Starks are going to win Winterfell back one way or another. 
So I thought it definitely gave the battle for Winterfell more of an emotional payoff. The thing that I didn't like about that storyline was that it took away some elements of Sansa building towards being a political leader. Mm-hmm. And cause she's definitely like following leaders, but like her storyline in the veil, she really is learning and practicing on how to manipulate people and how to get people on your side. And, and so some of that was taken away because they paired her with a big bad villain who had to be, they, they couldn't let Ramsey be too vulnerable in that situation. So there wasn't really much opportunity for Sansa to out manipulate him, though she does encourage him to kill Roos in a subtle way, which I liked. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing watching Sansa learning, like particularly from Littlefinger, uh, learning how to play the game, basically, and and watching her be able to do that. And as uh, her ability progresses, you know, really, I really admire her for her her strength and for being able to to grow the way that she did and to become just super competent. Yeah, I mean, I, I. Queen Sansa, I can when I've been like rooting for her because she was the storyline that I got into when I first started watching Game of Thrones, and it was just because her storyline was like the the princess fairy tale, as we like have all been taught it by Disney is not the truth. Like this is what it actually is like to be a princess or princess to be in in a kingdom, and. I mean, all of the abuse that she went through with Joffrey and Cersei tormenting her and just the fact that she survived all of that. And I feel bad because Sansa is such an underrated character and people just refer to her as stupid. Uh. Um, (laughs) Like, I'm so annoyed by that because it's just like, I don't think people really appreciate... She is a feminine character. She is someone who can't necessarily fight. Um, So she's more in a traditional situation that our princesses and queens would have been in back then. So she had to use her mind. She had to learn to lie and manipulate. So all through like the second and third season, while she's being a prisoner in King's Landing, she's actually doing a lot of disguising her, her true feelings and being in a situation where if she slips up and then suggests that she is still loyal to House Stark even once in front of the Lannisters, then she could die. She could get executed. The entire time she has to keep saying, I'm loyal to the King Joffrey. I have nothing to do with my traitor brother. Even while those insults are being hurled at her, even while they are threatening to kill her family, she has, she's not allowed to slip up. And that's made her such a compelling character to me and the fact that she's grown and survived and turned into a politician is just like even though like the sword swinging and the dragon fire and all of that is like more fun to watch the whole point of king robert's storyline in the first season is to show us that being the cool war hero does not necessarily make you a leader of a country all of the things that make you a good leader are not necessarily like 
showy. We, we see a lot of like handling paperwork with Jon Snow and Sansa. We see a lot of meetings. We see um, a lot of like political maneuvering. And that's what runs a country, not, you know, swinging a sword. That's true. That's very true. It's interesting how she's able to, that that experience in King's Landing really makes her able to have this powerful front, basically, as Lady of Winterfell. Not that she's not powerful, because she clearly is, but she's able to to exude the sense of authority, which is so important. Yes. And, and one of the things is, like, she is someone who silently observes and then picks up. And I feel like that's something that people don't necessarily appreciate because, I mean, again, everyone gets caught up in the characters who are doing more spectacle things. Mm -hmm. But that is exactly what you want in the leader. You don't want somebody like Daenerys who can come in and kill people, which, yes, killing people does allows you to shape a nation. But at the end of the day, you have to figure out how are people going to (laughs) eat? Like, right, right. You need to figure out tax policy. You need to figure out, you need to know to rest your army. Like, things like that are what will allow a nation to run. Touching on that, I like that there's a tie between what Sansa goes through in the second season, which is she goes through the riots in King's Landing with uh, Joffrey uh, when they're heading from the docks back to the Red Keep. Right, Um, right. And she remembers that in a way because she like one of the first things she's thinking about is like how are we going to feed everyone and she was like talking about that in the seventh season and making sure that everyone in the north brought their food back to Winterfell because winter if they were fleeing to Winterfell then they would need the food there so yes I am I'm here for Queen Sansa and keeping everyone fed and rested because that's that's the world I would want to live in. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, she has just remarkable ruling ability. I think that my preference, if I were to be able to say who wound up on the Iron Throne, uh, it would have been Sansa because she has the entire package. You know, she has pretty yeah. a pretty wide base of support. She has the admiration of Tyrion, I feel. Uh, which is really important. And just her ability and the things that she's learned, it made perfect sense that she would be the best choice with Tyrion at her side. Um, but of course, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a shipper uh, in that sense. Oh, you're going to talk about ship because I have a controversial ship. Yeah? <laughs> What's your controversial ship? It's John and Sansa as king and queen uh. of kingdoms. And... I know, I know, hear me out. (laughs) I totally thought they were setting up for that this season, too, because they were having a lot of foreshadowing of the, like, the first episode, Davos, when he was proposing Daenerys and Jon getting married, he said, what if, for the first time, the Seven Kingdoms were ruled by a just woman and an honorable man? Mm. And I'm like, thinking, like, okay, Daenerys is going dark, so she's not just. Um, <laughs> I think just, but she, but she's not. So my thought was like, oh my gosh, like there's only one other female candidate who could fit into this. And then that's what I thought the whole Sansa and Ramsay storyline got swapped in there for was because they were setting up for Sansa and John's relationship to start sooner, mm-hmm. because in the books 
it's John trying to rescue Arya, and that's actually part of the reason why he got killed, or a big part of the reason why he got stabbed. So I was thinking, oh, like, they're making John coming to Winterfell about Sansa's character. And then there's the whole thing within the books, like, Sansa is pretending to be a bastard. She's Elaine Stone. Right. At the time that Jon Snow is becoming the Lord Commander. So it's like she is going from lady to bastard and he's going from bastard to lord. So it's almost as if their their storylines are kind of meeting in the middle. And mm-hmm. then there's foreshadowing for the two of them in the books are the only ones who want to go back to Winterfell and have a family. Because Jon Snow imagines like, oh, I really want to be in Winterfell. And then he imagines like children, having children. And then Sansa also has the exact same fantasy. So I thought from all of that, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it might have been just like, I'm still processing that it didn't happen, and I'm really sad that I don't get to brag about it to all of my friends, because I kept telling everyone that this was going to be the ending, and everyone said no. <laughs> and, oh, and the, and they said Sansa was jealous of Daenerys this season, so I'm like, kind of like, what was that about then? Right. If, like, the director actually straight up said that Sansa was jealous of Daenerys, and I don't think she was jealous of her being queen like she specifically looked at john looking at daenerys okay i know people probably <laughs> crazy. no no i i totally get it you know people would say oh it's incest it's like well it's a lot less incesty than john and daenerys first of all yeah aunt and nephew is is a little too close whereas yeah. john and, and sansa are cousins and that happens Um, so yeah, so I, I would totally get that her and, and John winding up together. There's also clearly a great deal of trust and affection between the two of them. Yeah. And I thought, I felt like their storyline was building towards them learning how to work together when they are together in Winterfell. And then also when they are on opposite sides of Westeros. So that's what I thought was like, I thought the seventh season was showing that John was learning how to become like Sansa tells him, like, oh, you need to be smarter than, than Ned and you need to be smarter than Rob. And then John goes away and then essentially gets captured or so-called captured by Daenerys on Dragonstone. So yeah. we have to talk about John and Daenerys. So. <laughs> what do yeah. you think of um, Sansa and Tyrion? What makes, makes you ship them? Well, first, there's the fact that Tyrion has just always been incredibly kind and gentle with her. Yeah. Um, like, you know, even from the beginning, being the one Lannister who was willing to protect her is something that that I really liked. There are two people who basically were both victimized by the Lannister family and both really grew out of that or grew from that. And I think that Sansa really likes people who are who are really intelligent. Yeah, like, I think that's that's one of her one of the things that that really matters to her as far as uh, people that she trusts and people that she gives her allegiance to, basically. So I think that she would be uh, in for that as far as him on an intellectual level. And I just think that the two of them complement each other really well because, you know, you have Sansa who has really had to become very hard in how she deals with things. She is capable of feeding Ramsay to his hounds. 
Right. Uh, she's capable of having Littlefinger, who she knows actually cared for her, and yet she was capable of having him summarily executed in the Great Hall of Winterfell. And, you know, there's something rather terrifying about all of that. And, you know, you kind of see a little bit of Daenerys in there, except with a lot more justice. Um, right. Because, you know, these are people who took advantage of her and took advantage of her family, you know, as opposed to when Daenerys crucified all the uh, the masters. OK, so you're OK. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally like everybody is like, oh, my God, you know, how, how did Daenerys become evil? It's like, no, she was evil at the beginning. It's like yes. she was willing to do all of this stuff that every once in a while people were able to talk her down from going the nuclear route. But <laughs> she was still burning people alive and crucifying people and stuff like that. And then also the people who were surprised about the Unsullied and the Dothraki. The Unsullied were meant to be ruthless. They were raised to be ruthless. And the Dothraki, they basically just like to, you know, rape and pillage. It's like that's their thing. So to think that she's going to be really, really merciful when she has these two forces at her back um, right. and she has this pattern of behavior, it's like, no, this was totally in the cards from the very beginning. Yeah, like that's the thing. I did love the dark Daenerys reveal and it's just because I definitely feel the same way in that one of the things that George R. R. Martin said was that the villain is a hero of their own story mm -hmm. and that is definitely true of Daenerys's storyline and but the thing is like we're so focused on Daenerys's point of view and just wanting Daenerys to make it out and also Daenerys's storyline is juxtaposed against the storyline of the Starks where for the first three or four seasons, we're just getting Starks dying or Starks being abused and Starks being captured. So at the time that Daenerys frees Astapor, the slaves in Astapor, Sansa's still trapped in King's Landing and she's getting married to Tyrion at a time when she doesn't uh, want to be married to him. And then you have Jon Snow is like pretending to be a wildling and just trying not to get discovered. Arya is traveling around the Riverlands with, uh, yeah, she is with the Hound at that time. Hmm. Um, and then Catelyn and Rob are, are just died in the Red Wedding. It's just like, there's so much bad for our heroes at that time that like watching Daenerys win like means so much to us because we just want to see, we want to see the bad guys die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> win but like that's also what allows us to fall towards tyrants because i mean when you think about it daenerys is a strong man daenerys is someone who promises to us that she will take care of the people that we don't like and she will make the things that we like happen um without compromises without any sort of difficult decisions like she will come in and just make everybody that we don't like bend to her will and that is something that will appeal to us if it's a character that we like but we're not thinking about how like a lot of the people that she has killed even from the beginning it's Miri Mazder I'm probably saying that completely wrong but the witch lady who murdered her husband the Dothraki straight up told her like don't trust her but Daenerys had freed her and she thought, assumed that Miri Mazdor would be totally grateful to her 
for stopping the men from raping her. But as Marie Madster tells her, like, I had already been raped three times that day by the time you saved me. I just watched a Dothraki murder everyone in my village. So you just stopping them from harming me at that moment wasn't really anything. It was just something that Daenerys was doing for herself. But, like, the reason why all of that was happening was because Daenerys was so insistent on getting this Iron Throne in the first place. From Miri's perspective, like, her killing Cal Drogo and killing Daenerys' baby, as much as it was awful from Daenerys' point of view, from her perspective, she was saving the world because that baby was supposed to be the stallion that mounts the world, who right, takes the right. entire world over. <laughs> like, <laughs> why wouldn't you, like... I guess that's a question of, like, if you knew what Hitler would be as a baby, like, would you go and then, like, try to kill, like, baby Hitler? Um, right, right. <laughs> that's exactly what Miri Mazdur was doing. And even with, like, Cal Drogo, who I love and is beautiful to look at and beautiful to look at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, first he murders her brother in front of her, which, yeah, like, screwed Viserys because... He deserved that. Yes, he did. (laughs) He was very evil. And he was, like, more traditionally mad in that Targaryen sense. But Daenerys didn't even look upset, like, what it was happening. She was just like, well, boo-boo for you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Like, Like he wasn't a dragon. It's like, okay, yeah. yeah. Bye. I mean, even though I've known you for my whole life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, that feels a little odd because it's just, like, even if this is a person who had abused you, like, watching them die in a gruesome way, it's still going to be somewhat upsetting. And mm-hmm. she's just, like, nope, completely emotionally detached by that point. And then when Cal Drogo is saying that he's going to tear down the stone houses and he's going to, um, again, rape their women and all that stuff, like, Daenerys is like, yes. <laughs> like, Daenerys <laughs> looks totally turned on. And then, of course, it's presented from her perspective. So we're thinking, like, yes, Cal Drogo, go and punish everyone in Westeros. And so you get excited for this to happen. And then when Daenerys has dragons, they're like, yes, we just want Daenerys to come to Westeros and just start burning people. Let's get Cersei. Let's get, like, let's make this happen. And then she does. And it's like, ooh. Like, (laughs) We need to be careful for what we wish for because yeah. that feels like a very George R. R. Martin thing to do is to give us exactly the vengeance that we've been wanting the whole entire time, but make sure it feels like crap when it happens. Because it's the same thing with Joffrey's death. That was not, I mean, of course, like fans are still happy, but. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, Joffrey had to go eventually, and it was kind of satisfying to see it happen. But at the yeah. same time, it was also horrifying and had a lot of, of uh, really terrible uh, implications and a lot of really terrible consequences. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, that's something that George R. R. Martin does in general, taking characters and situations that we think that we know and that we think that we have a good understanding of and then totally turning it on its head. You know, he does that with characters who... He portrays uh, initially as evil, for lack of a better word. And then later on, we wind up kind of feeling for them. So like Jamie, 
is the best example of that. That, you know, we start off with Jamie as a guy who uh, has sex with his sister and pushes a kid out of a window who uh, who finds that out. And uh, we start off hating him and we wind up kind of sympathizing with him eventually. Yeah, no, I really liked that Jamie redeems himself, but at the same time, he's not like 100% redeemed, but his choice to go back to Cersei and die with her, that made total sense to me because at least um, through the show, after Joffrey's death, Jamie really wants to act more as a father, even though publicly he cannot claim his children yet. Right. He still right. wants to protect his children. And so Cersei is still pregnant at this time. And so, of course, if, like, Cersei is still the mother of his child or his unborn child, he's going to want to go back and rescue her, even if he completely hates everything that she's done or doesn't necessarily want to let her be queen. You know? Right, right. Like, he's still going to want to try to save the mother of his children. So, yeah, that, even though I was sad to see another one of my ships, Bramie, go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that choice of his made 100% sense to me. And then also their death being, Cersei's death being tragic as, like, the Red Keep, which she has fought so hard to hold, and has been so much a symbol of safety for her. Just being just dropped on her. Yeah. Was, <laughs> that was like weirdly poetic. But still that feeling of satisfaction. When you see a villain die that you're expecting to get. Is just. But you're and made to feel bad anyway. Like that's that's very Game of Thrones. And, and sort of echoes her walk. Her walk of. What is it? The mercy? Uh, atonement, I think. Atonement, yes. Yeah. Her work of atonement. It, like, it kind of felt in the same way where she gets punished. We've been wanting to watch her get punished. And yet, we feel bad for her because, like, it, it just wasn't quite the satisfying punishment that we wanted. Right, right. Yeah, and then uh, in the finale, when um, when Tyrion finds their bodies. Oh, Oh my God, I cried. Uh, <laughs> that was, I cried too. Like I was feeling, it was just so emotional. Yeah, I mean it was it was heartbreaking. And you know Tyrion's relationship to his family is yeah. one of the uh, the most really the most heartbreaking things in this show, because you know he loves his brother and his brother loves him. He has mixed feelings about his sister. But, you know, I think ultimately loves his sister and wants to protect her. And then, of course, you know, he wants his father's approval. And then when it's clear that, you know, not only will his father never give him his approval, but he was actively trying to have him killed. Yeah. Uh, you know, in basically a fit of anger, he murders him with a crossbow. So, yeah. So seeing that that moment of him finding them in the rubble and, you know, uncovering them and just weeping to see their bodies there's just so much history behind that, that it was such a powerful scene. Yeah, and the, that was something I thought was just, like, I guess one of my, well, sad, but favorite moments right. of, of the finale. <laughs> if you can describe a moment so sad. Because, I mean, that is truly what, like, the Lannisters have been this foil to the Starks in that they have this complicated relationships with each other and... 
and it all comes back to Tywin and how he was as the father to them. He basically was emotionally abusive as a father, and he was very harsh to Tyrion growing up. So the fact that the Lannister family had this tragic ending, one of the themes of Game of Thrones is fathers and how fathers can basically pave the path for their children based on how they choose to parent them. Right, right. And the fact that Ned Stark's children mostly survived. I mean, they had the higher survival rate than most of the families in Game of Thrones. Right, right. Versus the Lannisters, there's only one, and it's the one child that Tywin had the most hatred for. That, I mean, I guess that that shows which father, even though Ned Stark died, Ned Stark essentially won more than Tywin did in the end. Yeah, Ned Stark was was obviously just a, a fantastic father, even though he was not that fantastic of a politician. Right. So so hopefully his children will be better politicians than he is. I mean, he, he they already are. I think that's what their storylines were building towards is that they were learning how to at times be dishonorable and and to lie. Yes, at your at the heart of everything is your honor and treating people well and fairly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at times you do need to manipulate and be deceitful and we see that with John when he's being essentially being a spy. We see that with Sansa with how she handles Littlefinger and telling the truth of Jon Snow's parentage to Tyrion. And with Arya, she spends, like, a lot of the storyline, like, pretending to be someone else. Bran straight up sacrifices Hodor. Right. (laughs) For the world, I guess. And so all of the Stark children who have survived have had to make some type of not-so-Ned Stark-ish choice. But it ended up resulting in more people surviving. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So one of the uh, Stark children we haven't talked a lot about is Arya. Yeah. Um, I love Arya. Arya is amazing. I really thought, like with the, the finale, I really thought and really hoped that she would be the one to take out Daenerys. That's what I thought they were going to do, too, because they kept having Arya saying she was going to kill the queen last season multiple times. So I thought they were going to just, that was just another instance of them, like, constantly setting up something with one character mm-hmm. and then flipping it out like well we thought she kept when she kept saying i'm going to kill the queen it was really about cersei but in the end it was daenerys i really thought she was going to get the kill but on that kill though i do agree i do think there's like the azura high prophecy mm-hmm. in game of thrones and part of it is him killing his wife nissa nissa it's a story about, like, he tried to make a sword. He tempered it in, in water. It shattered. He tempered it in a lion. It still shattered. And so then he plunged it into the heart of um, Nissa Nissa. And then that was when the sword was tempered. I feel like it was at least foreshadowed. But, like, Arya killing Cersei or Daenerys is also foreshadowed heavily as well. So I'm kind of like, eh. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we have Arya going across the narrow sea and training to be a really badass uh, assassin. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this seems to be where her storyline is going. And then to have her basically like look at John and say, you know, something along the lines of something has to be done and then walking away. It's like, yeah. I mean that that's her purpose. Her purpose is to to be the 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 executioner of the Starks basically. Right. So that's this is why I'm like still confused because like her big kill of this season was the Night King, which I actually do agree with, mm-hmm. but there there isn't a Night King in the books or at least there hasn't been one introduced or no, there is a Night King, but it's he's a historical figure. Mm-hmm. Um he's not an active living character whatever you can call it living. <laughs> but, so Arya has to have a big kill in the story that's not the Night King. And so I, I thought she was going to take down Drogon. That that was my thought because I was like, okay, maybe the, because Jon is the next in line to be king, he should be the one to take out Daenerys in that sense because he is her rival. So it, it made sense to me on that level. But then... Arya has to at least take out Drogon. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> or the opposite, where Arya takes out Daenerys because she can sneak into anywhere, and then Jon takes out Drogon because Drogon looked like he was being set up as like an antagonist to Jon in the first episode of this season, the way Drogon kept staring Jon Snow down. So I was like, I'm like very confused because... <laughs> <laughs> Arya has to kill something or someone but bigger than a character that doesn't exist in the books. So I have a huge question mark around that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, it was fun watching her kill, you know, the phrase. Yeah. Uh, that was impressive. <laughs> you know, just completely wiping out their house all by her lonesome, which was great. But yeah, it, and definitely like the episode before the finale, it definitely felt like they were setting her up to have a big role in what was going to happen in the finale. Yeah, like especially like when she gets on the white horse at the end of the finale. Yes. Like a reference to a biblical story where it's like there's a white horse and the aunt sitting upon it was death. Right. Um, so, and that I really liked that imagery at the end of that episode. So I'm like, oh, okay, that means Arya is about to uh, kill somebody or kill everybody or something like that. And right, then right. It, it just, I, I don't know. I, this is this is what's confusing me about this finale. It's like same with Arya's storyline in King Bran. It's just like I feel like there was a lot of foreshadowing set up for something, and then like I, I mean, forget about all of the prophecies because. In Game of Thrones, like they're like half the time they're telling us that the prophecies aren't going to really come true anyway, and then or when they come true, it's in a really weird roundabout way. So I'm I'm fine with all of the prophecies and YouTube theories not happening, but I feel like there wasn't as much setup, or there was a lot of setup and foreshadowing, and then it kind of just didn't come out anywhere. So I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Right, right. The setup and foreshadowing was for something else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. You know, like I said, I'm I'm happy with the ending. In, in I'm satisfied with the ending. But there there is a lot about it that, that really came out of left field. 
Yeah, and it's like it's almost making me wonder. Like, I mean, no, I don't want to sound like one of the the Daenerys fans because there are some. <laughs> Oh, this isn't happening in the books, and I'm like, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally, happening. it's totally happening in the books. <laughs> <laughs> like her story, like her whole storyline is definitely building to that point. But like, I'm still confused with King Bran and Arya not having a major character kill that could also happen in the books as well. And I'm a little confused. I'm like, I definitely feel like I need to rewatch it to get all of the clues again. But I'm feeling like, like, was I like so busy focusing on my favorite characters and all of the foreshadowing for them that I didn't pay attention to other foreshadowings? But yeah, like I thought, I thought I totally understood the story, and then it just got yanked from underneath of me. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in preparation for doing this episode, you know, I watched all of it from the beginning. It's possible that I'm missing something, too. But, you know, having it kind of recently in my mind, it still feels like it's coming out of left field. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and I guess a, a big question is, and there's been a lot of debate over this, whether or not this is the ending that J George R. R. Martin gave them. Um, right. Because there are some people who are like, yeah, George R. R. Martin basically said, okay, here's how it's going to end. And then the showrunners had to basically get there. Hmm. So like get there from, you know, point A, which is the end of uh, the George R. R. Martin canon that's been written, all the way to point Z, which is how the, the show's supposed to end. And then, you know, how do they organize the points in the middle? So, you know, it's possible that it's that that's how it was supposed to end, but they just didn't have enough detail to kind of keep it all together and, you know, make it the uh, the satisfying, coherent uh, ending that maybe George R. R. Martin would make. Or it's possible that George R. R. Martin was just like, ah, I got nothing. And they had to just construct it themselves. And that's the thing is this, like, that's why, like, when I go back to the style that Game of Thrones does for foreshadowing, like, everything I feel like was set up in some way or foreshadowed or, like, reflected in the character storylines up until after Jon Snow kills Daenerys. And then all, everything that happened after, I feel like, was only foreshadowed in the eighth season um like king bran i think there's a brief line about how bran should lead from Tyrion in their conversation to each other and then bran says i mostly live in the past like that whole conversation right he's trying to make him lord of winterfell and so king bran was kind of foreshadowed in that way it's not really the style of Game of Thrones foreshadowing because when something is happening, they kind of like, not they won't hint directly at it, but there'll be little things planted over and over and over again, such as Jon Snow being a Targaryen and the whole R plus L equals J thing. The truth of Jon Snow's parentage was hinted at when they kept talking about that relationship and when there are multiple times where like there's this there's the line where Amon says the Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. And then Jon Snow just pops into the room. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like my favorite like hint. 
And then there was, even with Walder Frey's demise, they had Bran Stark tell the story of the rat cook who, there is some guy who betrayed guests and then he was made to eat his own son unknowingly. So, like, they, they definitely set things up and some and often they set it up multiple seasons ahead of time. And that's just the thing that I'm struggling with. This brand is just, like, there is no king imagery with him, the lack of uh, those leadership moments as well. And, it, and the fact that it all just randomly came from Tyrion's head, like, it was just an idea he just had sitting in a cell, like, nothing else. It, it just feels too left field for me. So I'm... I am wondering if King Bran is George R. R. Martin's ending, and I feel weird saying that because ugh, I, I don't want to deny them of this ending. But like, yeah, yeah. When it comes to to George R. R. Martin's intentions, I don't know. Like, so so my theory is that George R. R. Martin is never going to finish the books. Yeah, that's my theory too. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, if you ever hear this. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're terribly sorry. You know, we love your work. But yeah, because I think that he's really, I think that he's written himself into a corner, number one. And he kind of wants to go in a certain direction. And he did, he, I don't think he knows how to get there either. But yeah, also, it just it feels to me like he's lost interest in it. Uh, yeah. Because he has a oh, lot yeah. of other projects. And has even been publishing stuff like short stories about Westeros and, you know, Westerosi history and stuff like that. Um, and then yeah. her book on the Targaryens, and it's like, some of it comes from the World of Ice and Fire book, but like, it's still a huge book about the histories of the Targaryens. So I'm kind of, I'm like, okay, there is even a blog post where he kind of threw shade at the show because it was just after the Long Night episode aired and... He congratulated the um, Avengers movie. Then he talked about the Game of Thrones spinoffs. He like <laughs> and he kind of and then he talked about his Fire and Blood book. And I'm like, okay, so the big one of the biggest episodes of Game of Thrones just aired, and you're just talking about everything that's around it, but not quite like Game of Thrones. So I thought that was funny, but. I do have a lot of empathy for the writers of the show. And it's just because if George R.R. Martin is still struggling and this is his actual story and he has the medium of books to do it. So he doesn't have to worry about getting everything done in a time frame. Right. Because in the world of television, like you are on a schedule (laughs) if you're writing and you also don't have as much time. And I totally understand why they would want to end it in eight seasons just because after a certain amount of time you're going to start losing cast members and like if you know Daenerys gets recast because we're still on year 13 and we haven't closed Game of Thrones you know like things like that I can totally understand why they would want to just make sure this all gets done with in 10 years I, I get that I would have liked to see another I think there was times possibly to squeeze in another episode just from what I heard about filming, just because they were saying they were spending more time filming each episode than they normally do. So I'm like, okay, maybe they could have squeezed in a little extra something in between the last episode and the finale, or um, more specifically, in between the Battle of Winterfell and the King's Landing siege. 
something to get more set up and then also to, to incorporate Bran because Bran kind of was a fun character who was like trolling like yeah. staring everybody <laughs> out and I loved that and then he like disappeared <laughs> it was yeah. like it's like he was bait and he was using lines to tell people that ah, I know what you did but yeah yeah I think another episode to kind of start setting up him as someone who who even can be king would definitely have been very helpful. And that, like, if there, it'd be nice if we actually saw again, again going back to George R. R. Martin's thing about the tax policy. It'd be nice if we actually saw Bran being a leader, even if it's like beyond the wall him in the far north if he's like leading the children of the forest somehow or you know if there is just something that like allowed me to invest in Bran Stark as king I would be probably more behind it and I just in my mind I'm really happy that Sansa is queen in the north but I still want Sansa to be take it all and she definitely I don't know but that's the thing that I'm, like, still trying to, like, tie the pieces and my brain just can't do it yet. But back to sort of the writing question. Um, sorry, I'm, like, still, like, why is this ending the way it is? <laughs> Perfectly fine. <laughs> but, yeah, um, but uh, tying back to the writing, like, I do have empathy for the writers and sort of the monumental task that they have to do. And if George R. R. Martin lives long enough to finish his books, and and get motivation to finish the books. That will be great. I'm very curious exactly how Bran's storyline will work out, and he will actually have more time, more time and more pages to be able to do all of that versus like a television medium, which is a little bit more limited. Yeah, yeah, they're they're getting so much flack right now, the writers, and yeah, it's not really fair. <laughs> yeah. The job they had to do was such a, a huge task that I might not agree with all of their choices, but they actually did a, a, a really good job overall. Yeah. Um, and like just the the visuals of the show, especially of that last episode, was fantastic. So, you know, there's a lot of good stuff going on, even if... Oh, uh, yeah, everything yeah. was... Like, I was a little bit nervous because they were directing it as well, but like everything was just so beautiful. And like that shot of Daenerys walking up with the dragon behind her. Yes. So it looks oh my gosh, like that just communicated everything. And Tyrion finding the bodies of Jaime and Cersei and oh my gosh, Sansa being crowned. Oh, that beautiful. looked so beautiful, like a, a painting. So I think they did what they could with the medium that they had. And I, I think that the complaints are still overwrought and it's a lot, I think, to just to have the audacity to tell people to just change their ending is just like, like even now that I'm grappling with the ending, I'm not like going to be like, well, they should just go and change it because it's just like an artist is the owner of their art at the end of the day. I am just a consumer and a fan and I can be obsessed with it and fall in love with it and all those things. But at the end of the day, the characters are not my characters. Like the characters are to me are the way that I interpret them. I'm just taking like seeing the things that I want to see in the characters and connecting to the to them with my understanding of the world. 
that doesn't necessarily make it more real than what the artist intends for the characters to have, like, tends to happen with those characters. So at the end of the day, like, I can't come in and be like, well, let's just, I'm not going to sign a petition to make right <laughs> not being, like, <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. But I have a lot of respect for the fact that they took a huge task and, they, at least all the way up until King Bran, it felt like even if it wasn't in the direction that we initially thought these characters were building for, it was still a direction that was coherent with their narratives. And so there was still a sense of them driving these characters in a certain direction. As long as there is that the element of that, then even if you wanted the Night King to come down to King's Landing and like <laughs> the final big bad, like everybody wanted, whatever whatever alternative ending you want, I guess the real question is what have these characters been building for for this entire time? Like that's the most important thing. Right, right. So there's been a lot of talk of spinoffs. How, how do you feel about that? You know, do you think that you would you would watch Game of Thrones spinoffs? Um, I honestly don't know. I'm curious about the Long Night pilot that's filming right now. Apparently, they're going to do the story of the very first time that the White Walkers invaded Westeros. So I'm very curious to see what that would look like. And then there were some pilots that they said that they weren't even going to announce, maybe because they were too spoilery. So I'm wondering what those other stories were going to be about if they had to keep them under wraps. And apparently George R. R. Martin's and Brian Cogman's story wasn't approved by HBO. So I'm very curious about like what that was about right right hope they tell us <laughs> yeah <laughs> well great thank you so much for being on the show oh thank you for having me i haven't i listen to podcasts all the time and this is my first podcast to be a part of I'm so i'm so happy to be talking about game of thrones like it's my favorite topic to <laughs> talk about obviously <laughs> this is like a show that i've loved for a while and it's um, it definitely came t- to me, um, it got more involved in it during a very difficult time in my life where I, where I really needed something to escape into. And, and often, like, sometimes it was, like, just when something really terrible happened and then Game of Thrones were there. And so even though I have some confusion about King Bran, and I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> And just like, I, like I, at the end of the day, I just feel gratitude for this show and for this amazing cast of characters, for the producers and writers, Dan and Dave and Brian Cogman, Dave Hill, the directors, the cast, all of them. And then the producer, Bernadette, who needs a huge shout out because she was she's the reason why everything came together. I mean, everyone, I just feel so grateful that they put so much passion into making this show happen. And it really showed during the final season just, like, how good everything looked. Yeah, yeah. And then you can tell that they really cared and loved this show. Um, And that's basically all you want when you're watching something is just a sense that everyone cared. And in the end, I'm, like, very grateful to them. And, like, I can't... Like, I can't, yeah, I can't, like, say that enough that it's just, I, I have nothing but extreme gratitude for 
a wonderful story and journey that's been able to carry me for years. So I'm, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're all just fantastically fortunate that this show exists. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and is is so wonderful in so many ways. So so yes, definitely. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.